special guest today. Really, Evelyn is one of my favorite writers, my favorite poets that I've gotten to meet and know in real life. But now I get to read Evelyn's bio back to her and invite her to then she's going to read for us from her new book. Okay, so here is Evelyn Berry's brilliantly written bio. Evelyn Berry is a trans Southern writer, editor, and educator. She's the author of Grief Slut out of Sundress Publications 2024 and Buggery. Oh, wait, let's see the cover. Oh, oh, the cover in love, complete love. And Buggery from, do you say Bateau? Like it's French? Oh, good. Bateau Press 2020. And it's also the winner of the Boom Chatbook Prize. Evelyn is the recipient of a 2023 National Endowment for the Arts Poetry Fellowship, 2022 Dr. Linda here. Did I say that right? Close enough. Memorial Prize. Sorry, Dr. Linda. 2019 Broad River Prize for Prose and a 2018 Emory, Emory's Poetry Prize, among other honors. Okay, this person, our beloved Evie, lives in Columbia, South Carolina with her partner, their pets, and is working as a library communication strategist and is here with us today during this beautiful launch of Grief Slut. Evelyn, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yes, Grief Slut came out a little bit more than a week ago, and I'm going to share with you now a poem from Grief Slut. This is the final poem. So I'm gonna read it to you and then I'm gonna tell you a little bit about how it was written. Yes, I've seen the future and I promise I'm still alive, still paying out of pocket for hormones, still opulent when cascaded with opalescent plastic pearls thrifted for $3, still painting nails that Blue raz that pops like a tongue, only capable of cooking eggs. And when I wipe my brow with greased fingers, pimples erupt like adolescent devil horns. Still shaving every day, so close my lips crimson, still looking for the perfect sized bralette. Except by now, my tits have grown into more than fresh fat on my chest. I cup new breasts in the mirror and examine the vessel I have become. I am translated most simply as constellation, cluster of stars with a name I've chosen myself. I ache, I break open and like water abandon form. I carve my feminine name the same way a river fissures rock into ravine, slow and deliberate. Oh, Evelyn, where have you been? So this poem, which appears at the end of Grief Slut, was written um, about two years ago over the course of three and a half months. I was writing a poem a day based on the cards of the tarot and uh, sharing them online. And at the very end of that, some of the poems ended up working just as themselves. Um, but a lot of the poems, there were just lines that I liked that didn't really work as poems. So I wrote 
all of the poems in one document. It was about a 20 page document. I went in and I just started taking stuff out. Whatever didn't work got taken out until it was about two pages of one poem um, based on kind of this long meditation, each day writing in response to kind of a changing self and a changing body. So. I love that as an opening. Thank you for being with us again on this podcast adventure. Okay. You know, I'm on this thing about the year of no's. Mm -hmm. So the year of no's has some interesting, um, well, for folks that don't know, I have a publisher that I'm talking to about the memoir, mm -hmm. the tragicomic medical memoir, whose name might change. We don't know, which is fascinating. I hope I get to name it again, but it may name itself. Who knows? So in that, I know that next year I'm going into a process where other people will help me shape this book. In publishing, that happens sometimes, yes? Mm -hmm. So in your version of revisioning this book, you said that poem came from 20 pages? Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay, so in your version of the Year of No's, can we talk more about your editing process in your creative process? I would love to talk about that. So, um... I'm actually about to start writing a lot more poems again. I've gotten like the poem itch um, after kind of taking some time off. I have like maybe a quarter of a book of poems um, sitting in my hard drive that I wanna start to really go into and expand. Um, but I think a couple of things are really important when we think about revision, mm -hmm. which is that um, revision doesn't mean that what you've written initially is wrong. Mm -hmm. I think often when we're writing our work, it can come from a place of play. It can come from a place of possibility and expansiveness. So often my first drafts um, can be very long. Uh, sometimes they are formal. So sometimes, you know, I'll write a sonnet, a sestina, something to, to play with form. Um, often they're full of interstitial lines that don't necessarily... Um, you know, they're, they're not up to par with what I want to publish. Mm -hmm. So after I have those drafts, I spend a lot of time writing and rewriting work. Um, poems get crammed together, poems get cut. Um, very often the beginnings or ends of poems get completely abandoned because often when we're beginning to write a poem or when we're sitting down to write, we tend to do this thing where we ramp up mm -hmm. to, you know, we're kind of getting around to saying what we mean to say, and then at the end of the poem, sometimes we'll do the thing that we learn to do when writing essays in fifth grade, which is, you know, restate what you already stated. And I think often a poem is more powerful when we allow ourselves to be succinct, when we cut out the chaff and really allow the core of the poem to exist. So, so many of these poems um, end up being pretty short, but they might have been two or three poems that then kind of found their way, uh, you know, merge with one another and then cut down and then shaved. Um, and that revision process happened so many times. Like this manuscript was a million versions of itself. Um, you know, it started probably in 2017, uh, trying to publish a, a poetry book. It went through several rounds of submissions with publishers. And with each round of rejection, I went back to revise. And when I say revise, I'm not talking about going in and fixing the commas. I'm talking about 
scrapping poems, rewriting poems, seeing where the gaps in the narratives are and writing new poems to kind of help fill in the narrative of the poem. Um, I think when you're revising, you have to kind of step away from your own ego and -hmm. instead write towards what is best for the poem as well as what is eventually best for the manuscript. So it becomes a more um, full vision. I've never asked you this before. I'm curious, as a professional writer, do you use first readers? Do you have people who read your work? Kind of. I mean, not really. Um, I have had a lot of different examples of this. So um, I will say I've had it a lot more with fiction. So for example, I wrote a version of a novel a couple of years ago and exchanged it with another writer out of Asheville. His name is Andrew K. Clark. Mm -hmm. Um, And we would read chapters of each other's work and get on a phone call and just kind of provide some critique to one another. That was super helpful. His book is actually coming out next year, which I'm very excited about. Um, And like the book that I read, which was really mind blowing to see it like come out in the world and seeing this thing I saw as a manuscript. Um, I've also gone to like writing groups, especially for things like poetry, that's helpful. What I'm looking for usually if I'm reading a poem draft is whether or not what I want to get across is getting across. Um, I think the trouble sometimes is that we ask for feedback, but we don't listen to feedback. We say, hey, what do you think of this? People say, well, it makes me think of this. And we interrupt them. We say, well, I didn't mean that, I meant this. Um, which you might have meant that, but if they're not picking that up just by reading it, if they're not experiencing what you want them to experience by reading it, then you need to continue to revise as a writer. Um, So a lot of, I think when I'm reading to someone, I want to see if there's like a spark or reaction. And if it's not there, then I know that maybe it's not a great poem. Um, But since I've never really done like a I've been in very few like workshops. I don't have an MFA (laughs) or stuff like that. Um, I'm not really used to having my poems critiqued by a lot of peers. Um, Most of the feedback I get is from like editors at this point, which is really interesting. So like working with this book, like some of these poems were edited, um, which I appreciate. I like working with editors who are hands-on, who are willing to like suggest radical changes. That's the kind of editor that I am as well. Um, I, I think that it is not useful to have either a writing group, an accountability partner, a writing coach, an editor, whoever, who is so gentle with you that you're not pushing yourself to be any better. Agreed. I'm really curious uh, about, I experience you as a wonderful performer. I cannot say this for the whole of the poetry world. So I'm curious, is, do you read them, do you listen or read them to yourself? Is that a part of your revision? Out, any sort of out loud experience of your own words? Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so I'm gonna give you, let me find some examples of this. So um, what might happen is that I will like write, um, a poem. This is a great, this is a kind of a longer poem. It's called Obad with Baha Blast, Fight with the Jinn. And it's a kind of a rowdy poem. So every single time I read it aloud, I'm kind of waiting for specific reactions from people. 
And um, I would sometimes take this to open mics or readings and see how people react. So the version of this that's like published in here is a lot shorter and a little bit more succinct. There's some, um, there's a couple of like new clauses or, or new um, stanzas in here that don't exist in the original draft or like this poem was published before. So it was published in Taco Bell Quarterly and it's actually changed even since being published. I um, mean, almost every poem is like that. And that's because I continue to revise up until the point it was like, not okay to revise this book anymore because that's who I am. I like pretty radically change work over and over again. Um, I also changed the title of the work as I really want it to be kind of evocative and say something about the work. Um, an example of this is like the very first poem in, in the book was originally called Canines. Um, and it was a lot about monstrosity, but as I continued to revise the, like revise the poem, it became so much more about my, um, image of my own body before transition. And so I changed the name to Praise Song in Lieu of Obituary, which I think is a much more evocative title for a first poem um, than Canines, which is, I, it's a fine, you know, um, title, it's fine. But, you know, I'm always revising towards um, that sensibility as well. Um, but I'm not just in performance, but also on what's on the page. So I will kind of, play with what's on the page. I'll make it into a prose block. I'll see what happens if I shrink it down. So every single line is, you know, one or two words. Um, I, you know, change up the number of lines in each stanza. I, I'm trying to pay attention to what looks good and what sounds good. Um, and I personally think that's important. I know not everyone does. But, um, I really love musical work, work that feels good to read aloud. Mm -hmm. You can tell we, it's uh, an it's an experience. I'm wishing the Calm app had an Evelyn Berry channel, and Evelyn would read poems to you, and and we could listen to them. It would be a lovely experience. <laughs> maybe I'll offer. Maybe I'll do an ASMR channel or something. I'm all about it. You do have a you okay? So, folks listening, if you go to EvelynBerryWriter.com, there's videos under the performance tab. So, I mean, this is a simple thing to, mm -hmm. you also have a YouTube channel. Do you still have a YouTube channel? I do. So I use my YouTube channel primarily to like house um, performance videos. Um, so hardly anyone really watches them, but I am using them as kind of an archive of educational content mm -hmm. as well as um, performances. Um, so that's been a really useful for, for example, if I'm like applying to a grant that, uh, you know, needs me to upload like a performance, I pretty much videotape and edit every single performance I do at this point and post it online. Um, and those get shared to YouTube, but they also get shared to TikTok and Instagram. Um, I think that's a great way to just um, continue to like put your work out there without doing so much work. You know, you're not going to have to do a second performance just for the camera. If you just uh, like get into the mindset of bringing your tripod and your camera and setting it up um, and editing your work and putting it out there, you can, you know, have performances inspire people to then invite you to the next performance because you have provided some sort of um, proof of concept or, or proof of what you are capable of. So yes, check me out on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram. I have videos in all those places. I like YouTube in particular because it um, helps keep everything in one place. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes these, like the way the 
the feed works. It's very difficult to track down like the thing you need. But what I like about YouTube is there's things I uploaded years ago at this point. Like I have a, a hour long series or hour long um, video all about the um, steps to revising a novel. And it's like still getting people reading and, you know, like commenting on it and stuff like that, which I really appreciate because they're able to find it. Like when there are that stuff of, I need to revise, they type how to revise a novel and bam, that's the video that can come up. Amazing. One of the things that we've been able to connect locally on is the Queer Writers of Columbia group. And in it, you have, uh, you and some other lovely folks have been um, very generous in having workshops and other ways to educate folks who are not trained as writers or don't have that, that mindset of how to go from page to stage. Uh, I did hear a little birdie told me you're going to be offering more services. And as a person who is one of those people, I'm learning how to navigate the publishing world. Um, do you mind if we pause and talk a little bit about what you're going to be offering in the new year? Yeah. So starting in 2024, I'm launching a brand new venture called Ecstatic Stanzas. Um, this is a writing, editing, and creative consultancy business. Um, so I'm going to be offering editing, of course. So that's everything from copy editing, line editing, developmental editing, um, what I really love to do is sit down with people, look at their book and help um, do what I talked about earlier, like filling in the gaps, seeing what new poems need to be created, see what might need to be cut, how to kind of shape that manuscript. I can also, and I'm totally happy to do line edits. Um, if you feel like you're at that point and you're ready for line edits, I also do creative consultancy. So if you're someone who has a bunch of poems and you have no idea what to do with them, you're like, I want to... Uh, send them to literary magazines. I want to self-publish. I want to market these in some way. How can I take all these poems and make something out of it? What I do with the creative consultancy meetings is to talk you through the business of publishing. Um, that might mean navigating submission guidelines for literary journals, uh, helping craft your perfect query letter, writing cover letters. Those are two different things. Not everyone knows. <laughs> um, as well as developing like marketing plans. So I also work in marketing to so help people develop communication and marketing plans um, to make sure that their books and projects are a success. Um, and lastly, I'm also going to be offering writing services. So I'm going to be writing bespoke poems. So you might see me pop up around town with my little pink typewriter uh, to write some poems for people. Um, yeah. And with Queer Writers of Columbia, we're going to be continuing to do write-ins um, throughout the year, probably every two weeks. If you follow us on Instagram at Queer Writers Cola, um, you can follow along of, of when we do events. We're going to be doing maybe one or two in January and then onward. Um, we'll also continue to offer workshops. Once I kind of am done with like touring season for this book, I'm definitely going to get back to offering some of those workshops. And I um, am in talks with a couple of like local arts organizations so that that can be a kind of more official series. So I look forward to that. Wow. Okay. I'm very excited about that. Um, one thing I want to loop around back to is that marketing piece. Mm. I, okay, I believe that the reason why the press that I'm, the university press that I'm talking to 
listened to me is because I understood about my book's marketing. I think because of the type of medical memoir that it is, I know it has a place. It could have a place in uh, medical humanities, narrative medicine. I have people in those places. I know it could be like a medical in medical textbooks or maybe nursing curriculum um, because I have people there. And because I know the numbers of people who I know that there's an uptick in people getting diagnosed with colorectal cancer, which is what my story is about this book that it lit up the publisher and they both were like, Oh wow. It has a dual purpose. And because I had some numbers to back it and I put it in the query letter, which by the way, I found a few on the internet and really just shanified it. I just, but I knew the marketing, I think because I, they like that caught their attention. So talk to me. Um, and this is nonfiction, creative nonfiction. How does that work in the, and I know you would be good for all genres of writing, but talk to me about marketing, how it works for publishers and poetry. Yeah, it's very different in some ways, um, only because so much of, I think, nonfiction marketing relies on either communicating expertise or communicating um, personal narrative. Or in your case, it's going to be like a mix of both, right? So it's like I'm offering this mix of personal narrative and expertise. Um, poetry uh, is different, mostly just because of the nature of poetry, um, because it's so much more subjective. Like there's very few like um, themes that you can you know glom onto that are easily uh, picked up by people who might not be familiar with poetry. So if you were to market your work as say, um, well, you should really read my work because I'm really good at writing sestinas. Um, that is maybe a fine way to market yourself to a very specific kind of like formalist poet, right? And that might be really interesting to them. But if you're trying to market yourself, not just to other writers, but to readers, which is definitely what I want to do, I think we have to be a little bit more creative. Um, so obviously, one of the, I think, main ways is to think about who the poems are for and who they speak to. Um, and when we talk about who a book is for, it doesn't mean that other people cannot read the book or enjoy the book or connect with the book, but rather who is like your core audience who is going to like pick up this book and like be lit up by it, right? Like have some sort of real connection. Um, so I specifically was looking obviously for a lot of people in trans communities as well as in Southern communities. So, you know, having that in mind, like some of the choices that we made were really um, deliberate, like even down to the design of this book, right? We wanted the cover to look really, really queer. I worked with a trans artist. Their name is Silas Bird. They're out of Portland, um, who is a digital um, collage artist. And this like image of St. Sebastian with like the top surgery scars was something that already existed in one of their works. Um, they actually created this kind of special for me. So it had little hints of other parts of my book. So you have like little peacock feathers, 
you have like some birds. There's a lot of birds in the book. Um, there's even here a peach because peaches are a motif that um, come up throughout the book. There's also kind of this whole swamp in the background and you can actually see a little bit more of the background through the back of the book. So like that like was really specific. Also St. Sebastian appears heavily in the book. There's two poems about St. Sebastian. So when you see this and when the like right person sees this who is like familiar with trans people and sees kind of the gender queer aspects of this, they are like, oh, I know what this is. Um, there's also kind of an aesthetic quality of like zine culture here that we did with the um, collage font. So, you know, when we're thinking about even like the design of the book, we are like really, really speaking to a specific kind of queer person who grew up in a specific kind of queer culture. Um, and that's the kind of people I want to um, reach out to, right? There's uh, poems in here about house shows and about queer communities and like queer housing and stuff like that. And I think it's, you know, important to think about what the sensibilities of those people are. Also, when I'm like trying to go on tour, I'm trying to be very intentional about where I do events and how I do events. Um, one of the events I'm really looking forward to later this year is in April, I'm going to be going up to um, Greenville. Uh, I'm going to be doing a reading at Furman University and then a couple of class visits. Um, and one thing I really think is cool about Furman is that it has the queer zine archive. I don't know if you know this, but they have an archive of queer zines um, from the South in particular. So I'm really excited to visit that and spend time there and read there. While I'm in town, I'm also going to be doing a reading at a new hostel um, that has been supported by the Upstate LGBT Business Council, which supports different queer-owned um, and like affirming businesses in the upstate, which is really important because um, if you know anything about upstate South Carolina politics right now, things are really, really difficult for queer writers, queer performers, and just queer people in general. Um, so like, that's a really cool way to connect with the communities that I want to connect with specifically. That's just, uh, it's almost like you have a marketing mind when you've thought this whole thing through. I love how holistic, it's just like, Wholesome is not the right word, but it's like, oh, it's just, it's very exciting. Uh, so if people want to buy your book, I noticed you can come to Evelyn Berry Writer and go to shop and it's right there. Yes. So that's the, probably the best way to buy the book right now is to buy it directly from the author. Um, that is the best way to support the author. And when you buy it directly from me, I will send it to you personally signed. Um, there might even be some extra goodies in there. So look out. I've been kind of slipping in some fun stuff into some of the um, packages. Oh my gosh, that is very exciting. So I know you've got things coming up in April. Are there any other shows that are, we're recording this at the tail end of 2023. Is there anything if people were like, I'm buying the book, I'm going to go follow Evelyn everywhere. Uh, is there anywhere, any shows coming up soon, like in January? Yeah. Uh, so I have a bunch of shows coming up. Um, the best way to learn about what I'm doing is to follow me on Instagram. That's usually where I share um, updates about shows that I'm doing. On January 5th, we're having a release party at the One Columbia House uh, at 1013 Duke Avenue. Uh, that's in the North Main neighborhood. Um, we're going to be featuring poets Rai Rabideau and Jennifer Bartel-Boykin. 
Um, and of course, poems for myself as well. And it's going to be a poetry reading, but it's also going to be a little bit of a party. So we're going to have some fun as well. You're going to have the chance to contribute to a community poem. And of course, I will be signing and selling books. Um, also in January, I'm going to be doing an online reading. So if you're watching this and saying, you know, I don't live anywhere near South Carolina, yep. you can catch me at the This Wild Precious Life reading series. It is a Zoom reading series. I'm going to be reading with some really incredible um, poets, um, Olatunde Asinki, um, who just wrote um, a book that won the National Poetry Series, and Dorian Locks, who is a North Carolina poet who has, um, is, is like deeply renowned, an amazing poet, an amazing poetry teacher. I am super, super happy to be reading with them. Um, same in Columbia, if you wanna catch me, I'll be reading. Let's see, Augusta, uh, Georgia on um, January 20th. That's going to be my kind of Egan Augusta CSRA reading um, series. I'm going to be reading with some friends there. And then I'll be back in Columbia on January 27th at All Good Books. Um, and All Good Books will be selling the book. So that'll be exciting. And that's just January. If you want to catch me, February, March, April, um, you can find my stuff on Instagram. You can also sign up for my newsletter on my website. It's called Ecstatic Stanzas. And I share um, upcoming events. I also share like a mini craft lesson in each one. So there's a little bit of educational content in there as well. You are an educator as well. And I love that content. I have learned a lot from you and continue to. So Thank you so much. Congratulations. Thank you. I cannot wait to see where you take this train in 2024. I appreciate you. Thank you for all that you do. And I'll see you January 5th, if not before. Okay. I'll see you there. Thank you, dear one.